0: Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is a candidate for Illinois House District 102. It's currently held by Republican Brad Halbrook. Mitchell Esslinger, thank you so much for taking on this fight and for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me on. The
0: 102nd House District covers part of seven counties from Macon County to Vermillion and Edgar County along the Indiana border. Before I get into your standings and opinions on issues, we want to learn more about you personally. So tell us your history. Where did you grow up? Where are you from?
1: I initially grew up in Champaign. I attended St. John Lutheran School right on Mattis. That was for most of my middle school. At a young age, I was already in leadership programs like the Boy Scouts and a program called People to People which is a government program started by Eisenhower to send our children overseas to establish relationships in other countries. This was all in the hopes that we would form personal connections that would give us not only a broader worldview, but make things like going to war much, much harder because we already had established personal lines within these other countries. And it was after my time at People to People that we moved downstate to my family's Centennial Farm, which I'd basically been to every weekend of my life. And I went to and strasburg High School after that. So I frankly grew up in two places at once, which gave me a view of a larger city and the country simultaneously. And that really helped shape my worldview. You
0: are from this area originally, and I did see that you went to the U of I. We'll talk about that in a second. When I Googled you, a few of the things that came up first were that you were a delegate for Bernie Sanders. What about Bernie Sanders' message resonated with you?
1: This part's gonna be a little heavy, but it is the truth. I'm gonna start off with basically my dad. He served during the Vietnam War proudly, and in 2012, he had a massive heart attack for which the VA covered very little of the treatment. Two years later, facing crippling debt coupled with depression from the surgeries, my father took his own life on his porch in front of my older brother. And I want to say He's an outlier, but the truth of the matter is he's just one of the many examples of those who fell through the cracks in our system. And Bernie Sanders' message really resonated with me because of that. I realized I wasn't alone in feeling like the system had failed my family and my community and that there was hope for other ways so this didn't happen again. There was policy reform we could do that would affect everyone. And that's why I'm running, to protect those among us who are most vulnerable. Bernie Sanders caused a lot of us to do political soul-searching. And through this, I realized policies like making an economy that works for everyone, not just the wealthy, is possible and it is necessary. And during that, it really also allowed me to understand mental health, why he did what he did, And it gave me a broader critique of the conditions that cause people to take these drastic measures. And the solution basically for all that is mental health wraparound services like Medicare for All, bringing jobs back and advancing economic opportunity for everyone. And I realized that the world doesn't have to be like this. Bernie was talking about feeling infringed, disenfranchised, and how it's up to us, the working class, to fix it. And if we just keep voting these same puppets into office, things will never change. And I saw a real authenticity with Sanders that you don't see with the other candidates.
0: First, let me say how terribly sorry I am for what your family has gone through. I'm so sorry to hear your story.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: I'm grateful, though, that you have now used that loss and pain and gotten into this race. But what makes you want to be part of the Illinois political machine?
1: That's just it. I don't. Party affiliation is misleading. The way I see it, the machine is the way our political system is set up to maintain the status quo and align elite interest against the working class. And I became fed up with the status quo, especially in the ways that my opponent's rhetoric and actions maintain these deep divides among us, especially down here. So I decided to run to change that for the hardworking families in District 102. Also, it seems like my opponent is one of the few Illinois lawmakers who refuses to even wear a mask, both out in public and during legislative session. And you can't let his voice go unchallenged when so much is at stake. So I decided to run and do something about it.
0: You live in a very rural part of the district. Why do you have an advantage in this race?
1: I've lived in many parts of the state. Like we talked about, I'm from Champaign and then only moved down to Strasbourg a little later on, but it was still very much during my formative years. So these people helped construct who I am as a person, but the Champagne view allowed me to see what a larger city is like, and I have spent time in cities like Chicago where I see what works and what doesn't work in all of these different demographics, and understanding that on the whole is very necessary for understanding any of Illinois politics. You can't understand the county level until you understand how the city level plays into that and vice versa. But these people are my people. To know this district is to know myself. And I see down here that the values of these small towns are pretty untouched. They're pretty unyielding and deeply American. I honestly have everything to gain. And so does my district by running for this seat. And it allows me to give a voice to those who have been left behind by the political machine and to just understand the disenfranchised really on the whole.
0: I assume that your activism started earlier in life. It did. (laughs) Before you became a U of I undergrad, while you were in school here, you worked with local law enforcement to protect student safety. Can you tell me exactly what that means?
1: It's a program done by the U of I. It's called Student Patrol. And basically, we work alongside local law enforcement to help the students. Our goal is not to see who's doing a DUI or to try to like do a drug bust on somebody by no means our real only goal was student safety. Things like people that had been recently mugged, we would walk them from point A to point B just to ensure their safety, especially if they're not still in any actual danger. There's lots, lasting psychological effects on these people. And having stuff like that that gives students the more sense of security in the area without us actually being pertained as the bad guys. Um, which right now in the atmosphere with law enforcement is very much the view they have. But we were just kind of like the, hey, are you too drunk to like leave this place? We will help walk you from point A to point B. Does your friend need to have 911 called because they drank too much? We'll be there. I don't want to minimize it, but we were essentially the babysitters for campus. We helped people just do the things they needed to do after the lights went out that was mostly it and it really helped give me an understanding i would talk with students about like what were the issues on campus we'd get more in touch with what were just the real problems affecting the students on the whole not really at a law enforcement perspective but more as a social perspective to like try to help them out as much as possible
0: Let's talk about your stance on the issues. Let's start with common sense gun laws because Brad Halbrook is lacking in what a lot of the people in this community and this district want.
1: Yes, he is. And I'm sure you're aware of the speech he gave, I believe, up in Champaign with a woman who talked about her own father would brandish a gun in front of her face almost on the daily. And then Brad Albrick retorted to her, well, that's just the price you have to pay for freedom, which that doesn't sound like freedom to me at all. It sounds like a terrible, toxic environment that that woman should not have to be forced to live in. But that being said, Illinois already has pretty strong gun laws on the whole, which I am in favor of. I'm in favor of universal background checks. I'm in favor of common sense gun laws, which luckily we have many. And keeping the guns out of people that are a danger to themselves and to others. Now, hearkening back to what I said earlier, 51% of suicides involve a firearm. So there is another epidemic happening as well, and it's in my district. I know that mental health care and preventative psychological support is nearly nonexistent, and the consequences of this is deadly. My father as you know, died by suicide. And I'm committing to ensure the improvement of our poor mental health care and wraparound services, supportive services, to help those of us who are most vulnerable. These wraparound services, as it turns out, also contribute to the reduction of crime and gun violence in general. And I think that we need to get to the root of this problem without punishing responsible gun owners. Because The fact of the matter is, in my community, many people do feel safer with a gun. They will say it's for self-defense, but just having the gun makes them feel safer. And I can understand that. But a responsible gun owner shouldn't have to pay for the atrocities committed by somebody else. And not to say that that isn't happening. There are many, and that's why I am in favor of rigorous background checks You're never going to get guns illegalized down here. It's just not going to happen. As many people that might want that, I am telling you, this is one of their core issues. You're just not going to be able to change it, no matter how much people want to. Because to them, it feels like you're taking away their safety when you do that. It doesn't really matter the statistics. To them, it's just, if you take this away from me, they feel like they have nothing to protect themselves. So... That is one of the issues where we can't take away all guns, but we can try to enact sensible, common-sense gun laws. And I am all for that.
0: Well, that dovetails nicely into my next question about your stance, and that is on health care, prioritizing rural health clinics. I know that is not just about physical health, but then that's about mental health access as well. Talk about that.
1: On health care in general, I believe that it is just lacking on the whole. When it comes to just the distance that you have to go to get medical help, for me, it's 30 minutes away from the nearest major hospital that would be able to treat anything, let alone would you find yourself in my father's stance where they send you to one of the closest clinics, but then you have to be airlifted to somewhere like Carl, because as much as they might be a rural clinic, There is only defunding happening in this. They don't have the specialists necessary. There's not the type of specialized care that they can give. And you're finding yourself more and more being funneled into these other healthcare systems in Chicago or in Champaign, because my area, I'd say south of Champaign, is not equipped to deal with really any medical emergency, unfortunately. It's bad. It's one of those things even with Healthcare, where you may have a healthcare system, but that might only get you access for care in Chicago, so you have an issue down here, you can't go to the hospitals down here because you won't be covered. And it forces you to go to Chicago when you shouldn't have to drive for plus hours to make it to Chicago. You should just be able to go to the nearest health clinic that is best for you.
0: A big chunk of this population in this state can't afford health care and therefore they can't get quality jobs. They can't further their education because they can't pay for it. It's very cyclical. Let's talk about the need for quality public schools. Let's start with education with you.
1: I believe that the brilliant and young and intelligent minds of our district are suffering under the consequences of mismanaged budgets and political division in Springfield. It is critical, in my view, to de-link educational funding and property taxes. This allows for the richest among us to have the best schools, while other townships have to pick up the scraps, especially in certain parts of my district. The teachers and professionals who suffer as a result are responsible for keeping civilization alive and educating our children, and I believe that their pay, benefits, and resources are all in need of raising. I'm also in favor of working towards tuition-free state universities, vocational schools, and community colleges. In addition, our transition services for special education students are extremely poor nationally and statewide, and I'm committing to supporting our special education students and teachers to the fullest extent while increasing the services available to help transition those students into higher education and the workforce more broadly. It's basically like, why are we punishing our brightest minds for working hard in school? We shackle them to the chain that is debt. And then we're like, oh, you might be our future, but we're going to make you trudge as slow as possible. You see it on the statewide and national scale, how it is just decimating my generation. It really is. You sound a lot like Bernie Sanders. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Bernie
0: wants $15 minimum wage. Tell me a little bit about how you feel a living wage will help protect jobs and help get people out of this type of cyclical poverty.
1: Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? It is just absolutely ridiculous the wages that our brightest have to work down here and not get paid to the extent that they're able to work at $15 minimum wage should already be the bare minimum. I, even back in 2012, my teachers would have to have second jobs at gas stations or things like that after doing a full day of school just to get by, not even for themselves, but to give us pencils. Things like where you are forcing people into unlivable conditions and just telling them that if you work hard, you earn a seat at the table, that you will be able to survive. But that is not the case. And we are having an exodus of people from my district for that reason. There are people like me that go off, go to college, they get an education, then they might want to come back to their area. But their area at best, like the highest paying position might be $17 an hour Meanwhile, the rest of everybody else doesn't even have access to that. And this is causing people to leave the area. And we need to not only boost it up to $15 minimum wage, but we need to revitalize the area. And I have certain policy platforms that I want to go on that would literally change the entire way the country views my small district. We are known as the Rust Belt, right? Why are we known as that? Because... Everything has left this area. Everything, everybody's just picked up, moved out, and things are left to rust here. And I don't feel that a lot of people always connect that dot. So they're just like, oh, we're in the rust belt, but why? And we can revitalize this area through education and manufacturing that allows not only for our brightest to be able to go on and do the dream that they wanted to do and not be held back by certain economic and social factors but also allow the people that don't necessarily want to move out of this area to still be able to live a decent life, only need one job and to be able to support their families or be able to not have to work every single weekend just to get by. It is a necessity that we raise the minimum wage and that we couple that in with education.
0: You have a campaign manager now. How can we help her or you spread your
1: message? I do have a lovely campaign manager who also, luckily for me, happens to me my girlfriend. And I am so extremely lucky to have her and her expertise on board with this project to really help us out. I know this is probably an old mantra that everybody hears all the time, but volunteering and donating are the main ways to help out this campaign where I'm a small grassroots campaign. I'm 26 years old, so I don't have the most exposure. Even just talking about local races with your friends and family, getting out the word about me is so imperative because if nobody knows about me, no one's going to want to vote for me. I mean, I will be that spot that makes sure that this democratic race doesn't go unchallenged for Albrook. But at the same time, people should know about me and people should understand why I'm actually wanting to fight for them. But volunteering and donating are the best ways because we need we need money and we need boots on the ground maybe not necessarily on the ground because covid but i think you get what i mean the more people we have to build up the stronger our voice is um to harken it back to lincoln a house divided cannot stand and with my opponent being a separatist and literally just trying to divide this house We need to get as many people on board to be like, what is he talking about now? That is his plan, which is clearly just something that's a dog whistle for other people. No matter how irrational the actual policy is to get them to be on board with this thing. And the more people, the more people that figure out about what he does and his idiotic policies, the more people I think will honestly just be like, well, Looks like Mitchell S. are both
0: To divide the state is one initiative that Brad Halbrook has now put his name on legislation in order to make Illinois two separate states. Can you back up and tell us a little bit about why that's a terrible idea?
1: Oh, well, where to begin? First of all, none of them have done anything to even show what that would look like. It's just them yelling into the wind, hoping somebody hears it. But it would dramatically increase our taxes, even from a Republican aspect. This is one of the stupidest ideas you could ever come up with. The whole thing it hinges on, unfortunately, is fear of the other, sexism and racism, because there is not a single valid policy point you could point to to be like, this is why we should do this. On the entire aspects of everything, it is the worst possible thing we could do, because Chicago, no, no matter how many people down here don't want to admit it, it is the economic powerhouse of our state. And if we lose that, we will have nothing. And it's all just based on them not liking how Chicago votes. So they're like, if we can cut Chicago out of the equation, then- will have all the power but they won't have any and it would make us look like the stupid cousin of indiana to cut out chicago
0: that was perfectly articulated just a couple more questions for you mitchell before the pandemic what was your favorite thing to do in a free day or if you had a free night
1: i like to do a lot of things it's mostly centered on where i am at the time so for down here it's pretty quiet It's something where I'll just hang out with my girlfriend. We'll maybe go over and see some of my family and just have like a nice night out, maybe going to a restaurant. We love to support our local businesses around here, or just maybe chilling out and showing my mom the new Netflix show that's on. I also talk policy so much with my family. Policy and politics never really gets turned off, even when we're like, let's have a quiet night in. I am inevitably going off on some, like, structural reform that needs to happen. <laughs> I try to do things like gardening certain seasons, like, this, this sounds a little stupid, but I don't know how many of your listeners have ever heard of morel mushrooms, but during the spring, really before COVID hit, we were going out and collecting them out in the forest. It's a fun thing to do. I'm a, I'm a pretty naturey guy. I don't know. There's not much to do down here except to hang out with family and talk and go out to local businesses. All right. One more question before I let you go.
0: I have to ask, uh, you help take care of a friend's autistic child. What have you
1: learned from that experience? I've learned so much. Just the entire, entire concept on how we view disability on the whole is so wrong. And it's so centered on us as the perfect individual. And so much of the time, we look at people with disabilities like there's something wrong with them, or something broken in them. And I think that has a lot of ties to just the founding of our nation and everything that went in through that. what is it like, one in four people have a disability. Everybody likes to put them out as the separate, but they are the whole. We all have something that we have to work with. For me, it's ADHD and anxiety. But for Neil who I was taking care of, it was severe autism. It was a huge learning experience for me to be able to go from what the ableist view of disability is to what the actual view on disability is. And being able to work with an individual who is, quite frankly, much bigger than me on every sense, he's kind of like the size of a linebacker and he's nonverbal. He isn't really the, the most easygoing guy, but it really taught me patience. It taught me to be much more kind and understanding of people that you even just see out in public, not looking at someone like they're a danger, but understanding everything that goes into who they are as a person, because that's the thing. He is just as much of a person as I am. Just because he's not able to talk doesn't lessen that by any means. He's able to talk if you know him well enough and you can really get into like what his needs and what his wants are. We have to actually sit down and have a conversation about how we view people with disabilities in this society and how we can help them. And ultimately, that's looking at stuff like expanding upon the ADA That's looking at stuff like giving them more resources in the educational side because it is lacking. It is extremely lacking. And just treating these individuals like they're a person, too, because all too often I find that we do not. It helped me change my whole worldview really.
0: Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Mitchell Esslinger, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciated it.